Hey friends, uh, if this is your first time to RUF, welcome. Can you all hear me okay? Okay, all right, cool. Uh, my name is Sammy, I'm the campus minister here. We're really glad you're here with us tonight at RUF. Uh, from now up until spring break, we're doing a series that we're calling uh, How the Gospel Changes College, uh, looking at the I Am Statements of Jesus. Last week we looked at I Am the Bread of Life and talked about how the gospel changes our satisfaction, what fulfills us, what satisfies us, namely Jesus himself and all of his fullness. Tonight we're looking at I Am the Light of the World, and we're talking about how the gospel changes what I'm just going to call vulnerability, the way that you and I reveal or don't reveal ourselves to one another. Um, to do that, though, we're going to read John 8, starting at verse 12 uh, through verse 20, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Uh, John 8, starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you, do not, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, Therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let me pray for us, and then I want to jump into thinking about what Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, means for you and for me in the way that we do vulnerability. But let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that, it, that you reveal yourself to us. You reveal your heart of love and grace and faithfulness. Um, and Lord, I, I pray that you tonight would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, we are completely dependent upon you and the working of your spirit to receive anything that we might be changed, uh, that we might uh, be brought from darkness into the light. And that, Lord, in your work of sanctification in us, that we would have the boldness um, with one another to share the things that we want to keep hidden, um, to share the places that we would like to keep others in the dark and where we feel that darkness ourselves. Would you give us the beautiful gift of vulnerability first with you, or would we know that we can bring freely all of our struggles and all of our shame and all of our sin to you because that is why you came for us. Lord, would you invite us in that way, but then would you build something beautiful in our midst that we would do that in love with one another. We need your grace and help for that. We ask for it. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of my top favorite uh, clips of television ever uh, comes from, I think it was The Mind of a Chef, Sean Brock, uh, he used to be a chef with a restaurant called Husk in Charleston, South Carolina, but he's hosting Anthony Bourdain for the first time, uh, and they go to Wa Waffle House for the first time. 
And it's beautiful because Bourdain in all of his food travels, if you know much about him, he was a, a food traveler and did beautiful work and just con- the ways that, uh, highlighting the ways food and culture connect us as human beings. But he'd never been to a Waffle House. And Sean Brock does a little tasting menu with him, which I've always wanted to try. I've never tried it, but you go all out where you start with the pecan waffle, then of course you gotta do the double, the, the, um, the patty melt with the hash browns, and then you do a chef salad and a pork chop. You just, you just go, you order almost everything on the menu, and they're eating it together. And Bourdain has this epiphany, and here's what he says. He says, Waffle House, an irony-free zone. Listen to these words. They're so beautiful. Send your hand up. An irony-free zone where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts, where everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or degree of inebriation, is welcomed. It's warm yellow glow, a beacon of hope and salvation, inviting the hungry, the lost, the seriously hammered all across the South to come inside, a place of safety and nourishment. It never closes. It is always, always faithful, always there for you. I might have just found what I want to put in my grave. (laughs) That's dark. But we're talking about dark. I love it so much because, but here's why I love it. This is what God's people this is what we should be, right? Welcoming to everyone, regardless of race or creed or color or degree of inebriation, a place of safety, nourishment, a hope and salvation, inviting the hungry, the lost, the seriously hammered. We should be like this. And thank the Lord, often we're not, but our Lord Jesus is. It's a description of what we as Christians should be like, but it is what Jesus is. This is the freedom and the scandal of the gospel, is that everyone is welcomed and no one is deserving. And this is at the heart of what Jesus means when he says that I am the light of the world. Here's the way I want to think about it. He is the one who illuminates. He helps us see things clearly, ourselves, himself, the world. He is the one who graciously exposes He shines light into the darkness and the dark places in our own lives. And he is the one who forever faithfully welcomes us. To know Jesus is to see yourself clearly, is to show yourself, to open yourself truly, and to share yourself as you follow him wisely and freely. Um, But if we're being real, that's not easy for us. That's what I want to talk about. What is the, how does the gospel change? What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? How, in other words, how does the gospel change the way that we do vulnerability? And this is what I want you to see. It's what I just said. The gospel changes how we see ourselves. We begin to see ourselves, uh, we begin to see ourselves clearly. The gospel changes how we show ourselves, how we open ourselves uh, honestly and truly. And the gospel changes the way that we share ourselves uh, wisely but freely. That's what we're doing. To see yourself clearly to show yourself truly, and to share yourself wisely but freely. Track with me. First, to see yourself clearly. John Calvin, many, many, many years ago, in his masterpiece, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he, he opens it with this. He says, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. We could spend a whole semester unpacking that. Here's where he elaborates. He says, every person, therefore... On coming to the knowledge of himself is not only urged to seek God, but is also led as by hand to find him. So long as we do not look beyond the earth, we are quite pleased with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue. We address ourselves in the most flattering terms and seem only less than demigods. 
but should we once begin to raise our thoughts to God and reflect what kind of being he is and how absolute the perfection of that righteousness and wisdom and virtue to which, as a standard, we are bound to be conformed, what formerly delighted us by its false show of righteousness will become polluted with the greatest iniquity. And this is why, if you're following the passage, the religious leaders hate Jesus so much. They hate Jesus because as he shines his light of grace and truth and wisdom, his son of godness, his divinity upon them, they don't like what they see in themselves. They don't want to lose their pride. They don't want to lose their way of being in the world that feels so good when you feel better than the people around you. This is one of the greatest struggles of college, I think, is it's so easy. Uh, One of my favorite writers, Anne Lamott, she likes to say, you know, that we can tend to do this thing where we compare our insides to other other people's outsides. But part of what self-righteousness does is only we never reflect on the insides. We want people to see the outside and we want them to think we're some kind of way. And this is the religious leaders. And that's why Jesus says to them, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Of course Jesus judges. We see it all through the Gospels. But he's saying, but the way I judge is not the way you judge. We think about God's word about David, his servant, when he said, God looks upon the heart. He sees what's going on in our motivations. And this is where you and I, for being honest, don't often see ourselves very clearly. We can't, apart from the Spirit's work in us. But sometimes we are so afraid to admit that we're not as we pretend to be. We're afraid, in the words of Brendan Manning, to take off the mask. We're afraid to see ourselves clearly. And it's a great hindrance to all of our relationships. Because if we're not letting one another in, and if we're not wrestling ourselves with the Lord about what's really going on, even in our motivations, our bad motivations for good things, then what are we doing? Uh, I love the story, think, talk, thinking about this idea of seeing yourself clearly. I, I love the story Mike Iaconelli, he tells in his book, Messy Spirituality. And he talks about a young boy who's wanted a puppy for a long time. And his mom takes him to the PetSmart to pick out the puppy. And the PetSmart owner takes him over to the, where the puppies are. And he says, it's time. Which one do you want? Pick out your puppy. And he says, this young boy, he says, I want that one in the back. And the owner says, no, 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 you don't. Let me tell you, that one is crippled, and it's never going to play like the other dogs. It's never going to be able to run. It's never going to be able to play fetch with you. You don't want that one. And Yacanelli tells a story that the little boy didn't say a word. He just looked at the owner, and he lifted up his pant leg to reveal the, the metal flash. And then he looked him in the eyes and said, I want that one, the one in the back. He saw himself clearly. He saw himself clearly, and because of that, he moved. He moved toward the weak. He moved toward the broken. He moved because he's, this is me. This is us, right? We move when we're opening ourselves and we're seeing ourselves clearly in all of our brokenness. We move. We have the ability to move toward those who are broken like us. I'll never forget thinking about how hard this is for us. Years and years ago, students dating in our ministry and they kind of they came to meet with me about this moment where they had gone too far, and they were really ashamed about it. And I'll never forget this detail, where after it had happened, they were trying to process it together before they had told a soul. And there's this image that's burned in my mind where the girlfriend was saying, you know, we were trying to process it, and I looked over in the corner, and my boyfriend was just standing in the corner, 
banging his head against the wall, saying over and over again, I don't make mistakes, I don't make mistakes, I don't make mistakes. And can I tell you what a hard way (laughs) that is to live when we don't see ourselves and admit the hard truth about ourselves clearly. And Jesus is saying, don't you know that that's why I came? To seek and save the lost. To come for those, (laughs) just what Jesus said to the Pharisees, the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. And I've come for the sick and the lame and the sinners like you and like me. So first, the gospel changes the way we see ourselves. We begin to see ourselves clearly. But second, it changes the way we we show ourselves, how we open up ourselves uh, as we discover those hard truths about us. Think about this. Light doesn't just illuminate so that we might see clearly, but light also does expose It shines into the darkness and it shows us what's really there. Uh, The lights turn on and the roaches scatter, right? Uh, Light can be a brutal truth teller. I don't know if you've ever been like in a Target dressing room and that light is so bright and you're like, is this what I really look like? And it's like, yeah, it is what I look like. But the light is showing me, right? It's showing me what I really look like. Um, I think about Mark 9 when Jesus... It has that moment of, of his transfiguration. And Mark, who was so sparse in his descriptions, has that beautiful detail as they're looking at, at the fullness and the radiance of Jesus. And Mark says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And you can imagine his followers looking back at their own clothes and feeling dirty and feeling naked. It's fitting that right before this, in John 8, we get the story of Jesus kneeling by the woman caught in adultery. And do you remember what he says, his challenge? He was without sin, cast the first stone. It's part of what Jesus is doing. He's not defending her sinful choice, but he's defending her against any who would dare to pretend to not struggle with sin. That's why we read 1 John. It's a strange paradox, When we are confessing our friends, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And when we are holding on to them and hiding them, we bring judgment on ourselves. Um, Last night with a couple of of y'all, we watched, it's my new favorite. I can't just freely recommend it. Like, this is true probably of a lot of stand-up. But have you seen Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel? Oh, It is powerful. There's lots in it we could discuss. But the thing that stays with me, the first half of it, he is just, the whole thing is about secrets. And the first half of it, he is hilariously, painfully, but hilariously talking about the secrets of his family that as a child he felt forced to kind of keep. But then a movement happens in the special that's really poignant, would be a great discussion group of some kind. Well, we'll see. But he begins to tell on himself. He begins to tell his own secret. And as I watch it, and we could disagree with what he says about himself, or we could grapple with it, and I won't spoil it, but what I watch is a movement that should be happening for all of us. Not not that we're telling our family secrets. We can, right? But that we begin to tell on ourselves. We begin to tell the truth about ourselves and what we struggle with. What, we're, what makes us afraid, what keeps us up at night, what sends us into the anxiety spiral. We begin to say that stuff out loud. And it's hard, y'all. 
I think about it like this. If you think about the three kind of movements of vulnerability, you, get, you have on the one end, and this is what most of us do as freshmen, you do low to no vulnerability. I'm not sharing anything painful or hard about myself. I'm going to keep the mask on, and maybe it's the mask that I developed in high school, or maybe it's some new mask that I find some identity in, but low to no vulnerability. No one's getting in here, baby. No one. And then perhaps if you're like me and you're a people pleaser, you learn that, well, some vulnerability can make people like me. <laughs> so let me do that. I'll share the stuff that maybe really is a struggle, but I'm really sharing it because I want you to like me. Or I need something from you, but it's not real. We could call it cheap vulnerability, right? Where it's just like I'm getting something out of it. And then I think the final movement for the Christian is what we would call costly vulnerability. Where I really am daring to share something about myself where the stakes might feel pretty high. Where it's going to bring embarrassment to me, maybe shame to me, but we begin to do it as we follow Jesus with one another. Of course, you don't do it with everyone. Please hear me clearly. We do it with people, hopefully, that can point us to Jesus and know their own need and probably have done it with us first. But here's the reality. If Jesus isn't enough for us, we will never share the hardest parts of ourselves. Why? Because the stakes are too high. We're too committed to, to maintaining the mask. We're too committed to maintaining the image. But when Jesus, the real Jesus, full of truth and grace, who welcomes sinners to himself, when the real Jesus begins to... We grasp him more and more by his grace. When he begins to be enough for us, we can begin to dare to share the hardest parts of ourselves and our sins and our struggles, not in the name of being liked, but in the name of being known and loved, in the name of being helped, in the name of being honest with where we really are, not where we've been pretending to be. Um, season five of The Crown. My wife is a huge royals person. I'm not that, but I do love the crown. And there's a scene in season five that is, there's just these little throwaway, they're not throwaway scenes, there's these beautiful scenes in the crown that just really move me. And there's one where an older Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, rest, rest in power, where Queen Elizabeth, the, the family has had a rough year, and she wants to say something about it in her speech. She wants to do a speech where she owns the family's mistakes. And there's this powerful scene where her mom, who's much older, you know, you know, she's still alive then, but her mom is like, what are you doing? We don't do that. Why would you dare admit any weakness before the people? And Philip, in this beautiful moment, says, don't you dare tell her what to say. If she wants to do this, she's going to do it. And she gives this beautiful speech where she, she does. She admits weakness. She admits mistakes. She admits some bad choices. And the power of it is it ends up in this beautiful way, re reuniting, reuniting her sister and her. It's a powerful episode. But, but I watch myself when I watch her struggle. Should I share this? Should I not? And she does, and redemptive, beautiful things happen. And here's the question for you and for me is, do you have relationships in which you can show up as you really are? not as you've been pretending to be? Do you have friends? Do you have Christian friends, relationships, where you can show up as you really are, not as you've been pretending to be? So first, 
The gospel, I'm the light of the world. The gospel, it changes the way that we see ourselves. We begin to see ourselves clearly. It changes the way we show ourselves. We begin to show ourselves more truly and honestly. And then the last thing I want you to see is it changes the way that we share ourselves wisely yet freely. We begin to share ourselves wisely yet freely. Here's the deal. Light doesn't just illuminate. It doesn't just expose. But there is welcoming power to it. It invites you in the Bourdain Waffle House way into its warmth. Uh, Think about the last time you were around a fire. What is it about a fire that just, especially for dudes, we just begin to like open up a little more? Like, I don't know, is it it that we have something to stare at collectively that makes us feel free to just be like, let me tell you something that I've never told a soul. (laughs) Amen. That's why we do it. But this is part of what Jesus is saying about himself is he is inviting us to share ourselves with him and then begin to do that with one another. I love the way that um, one of the details that is helpful to know is Jesus says this, I'm the light of the world, uh, in the middle of what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And all you need to know is this. I'm just going to read it for us to give you some context. Here's, here's how that went. It was like a big party. And here's the way it was described. Uh, first, they would say, he was not seen the joy of the place of water drawing, has never in his life seen joy. This extravagant claim stands just before the description of the lighting of the four huge lamps in the temple's court of women and the exuberant celebration that took place under their light. Men of piety and good works danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. The Levitical orchestras cut loose. Some sources attest that this went on every night at the Feast of Tabernacles with the light from the temple area shedding its glow all over Jerusalem. And as we begin to see ourselves more clearly, and as we begin to show ourselves more truly, then we can begin to follow Jesus into sharing ourselves wisely yet freely. What I mean is that we learn to follow Jesus in our own sins and struggles. And as we do that, we have something to give. We have something to give to those around us. I think about when I was in Statesboro, Georgia, doing RUF at Georgia Southern for five years. What a gift, his name was Matt, what a gift of a friend my friend Matt was. Why? Because he was the first Christian that I ever heard talk honestly about depression. Depression is a big part of my story. Some of you I know can relate. But to hear as a fresh out of seminary where you don't typically learn humility, depending on where you go, thinking I have all the answers, thinking I have something to give, and yet knowing those days where I could barely get out of bed and the shame of trying to hide my sadness. Because as Christians, should that be how it is for us? I had never met another Christian who so openly and freely had begun to... He wasn't... He still struggled. But as he began to share that part of himself, it was such a gift to me. It gave words to my experience. It honored the way I I carried it. It it helped me think about what does it mean to be a Christian who struggles with this. It was such a gift. And we begin to get to be that with one another. And of course, we do this because this is who Jesus is to us. Sharing himself freely on the cross that we might know and taste forgiveness, that we might know and be given his righteousness and his perfect life. 
and I, I guess this is the, uh, if there's a question here, is this. I love the way one writer talks about it. He says, he calls it the gift of going second. Meaning the gift that it is when you begin to share your stuff with someone and they get to say, me too. And it's a beautiful thing when we do it. I'll close with this. There's a, a story that I came across this week that I really love. It's called The Ragman, which is interesting. It's by a guy named Walter Wengeren which is a fascinating name. And he tells the story, it's a really short story of the ragman, which basically was a man who would go through the city streets and he had a cart full of fresh new clothes. And he would meet people in their broken situations and say, I have, you want to trade with me? Give me your old dirty rags and I'll give you my fresh pair of new ones. And he said he watched this ragman do this over and over, providing new rags, new clothes to hurting, broken people. And then he ends it with this, and I love this so much. He says, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. But then I took off all, took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him with a dear yearning in my voice, dress me. And he dressed me, my Lord. He put new rags on me, and I love this line, and I am a wonder beside him. I'll close with these words from A.W. Tozer to this idea. Just take this in. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Let me pray for us. Our Lord, would we believe it? Would we believe the good news about you and the ways that you have come for us and the ways that you invite us to yourself that we might find the rest that we're longing for, that we might find someone who knows what to do with our shame. And Lord, would you do that? You are the light of the world. Would you draw all men and women to yourself? And Lord, would you let us be some small part of it? And Lord, would you grow us in our vulnerability with you And would you grow us in our vulnerability with one another? Lord, we need that work of grace in us, and we ask for it. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.